Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Selah Fellowship podcast for our Sunday services. Please open your Bibles as we dive into our study this morning. Turn your Bibles to Daniel 3. While you're opening it to Daniel 3, I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, um, these standalone messages are always a really good time to stand with you and what you're doing with the person who's standing alone with you up here. And for those of us who get to bring that standalone message, Lord, we always leave the opportunity for you to lay that area on their hearts that you've laid to share. And for this particular weekend, Lord, you've laid this chapter, um, actually just a very small portion of this chapter, on my heart to share with the congregation. So I pray, Lord, that there would be a nugget, uh, a nugget that can be taken out of here, uh, that we can apply application, taking your word, written thousands of years ago and applying it in 2019. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God the stretcher. My greatest problem as a disciple is thinking naturally. I'm bent that way from birth. And all of my education reinforces it. But Lord, how ceasingly you try to teach me to think spiritually. How many loaves of bread does it take to feed a hundred men? Twenty, of course. How many loaves of bread does it take to feed five thousand men plus others? Five, of course. But the answer does not lie in the amount of bread, but in the amount of stretching it takes to get the crowd fed. God is in a greater God is the greater stretcher who takes our meager gifts and makes them reach the maximum. That is why when I was a student and my income was meager, my needs were met. Now that I'm older and my income is much larger, my needs are still being met. If I gather too much, I have no surplus. And if I gather little, I still suffer no lack. This is because God operates on spiritual laws, not mathematical. And he tries to get me to think on those same higher laws. Look at this kerosene. God looks at... The oversufficiency. I look at the usual, the customary, why God looks at the miraculous. If I sit down and count the cost, I will never reach the correct figure. If I wait until the moment is ripe, it will never be. If I expand only in the limits of the known, I will fail. God wants me to launch out into the deep where I'm abandoned to the laws of the spiritual. He wants me free enough from the restraints of the natural to enable him to deal with me from his vantage point. The reservoirs of spiritual where there is never a lack or shortfall. This is the God who challenges and comforts me with the easiest of all questions. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. 
Again, I use this verse a lot in this ministry, Ephesians 3.20, because the word exceedingly is something that I rely heavily on. The word exceedingly is a word I can't pronounce in the Greek. I probably should learn it, uh, and I'll work on that. But the actual meaning is outside of the origin, outside of our thinking, outside of our reach. This is who God is. It's beyond. Austin, would you do me a favor and come and lift up the God pot and put it on the corner over here? I would do it, but I would probably drop it. I'm feeling a little under the weather. Wow. I wouldn't carry it like that, but you know. (laughs) So I'm going to go to Daniel 3, but I'm going to give you a little backdrop on just a little bit about the book. Daniel... um, Daniel was taken from uh, Israel when um, Babylon came on their first attempt to take down Israel. Nebuchadnezzar ultimately took it down and did away with it all through the sovereign hand of God because they they started a process of idol worshiping. So God is like, okay, so you want to worship other idols. I'm going to give you more idols than you. I'm going to make you so sick of idols. I'm going to send you a place that's got a boatload of them. Yeah. So, but what they did is they went and they brought um, the brightest, the youngest uh, boys that didn't have any blemish, and uh, they brought them to Babylon. They put them in school. Uh, They were going to serve the king after three years of this schooling. And so Daniel had this great favor, and 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 and, but he was taken, and other uh, Hebrew boys were taken, and they were. you know, teenagers, young teenagers. And uh, they went through the process. And you got to read the first two stories, uh, chapters. Uh, Daniel um, has uh, interprets the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, now the king. And it opens up this door because it's a true interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind that this young teenage guy got it right. So Daniel's got the backstage pass as a young kid. Yeah. And in that favor that was given to him, he also invited a couple buddies of his. He, can I bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And the king's like, yeah. So these guys now, Hebrews, have gotten great favor. Young kids, youth, being given favor. I really believe that this is something that really ministered to me because of what God has laid on our hearts as a ministry. We have an awful lot to instill. We have an awful lot of resources and opportunity. We have an awful lot of opportunity to give to a young generation because for those of us that have lived longer, we've been able to be given more. So to whom's been given much, much will be required, but also... Freely it was given to us by others. Freely we are to give to a generation. And I am telling you, in the last few months of my life, I can't begin to tell you that my belief that there is a generation that's coming up underneath this generation, that the generation is sitting before you now, the millennial generation, has needs their Daniel, Shadrachs, Meshach, and Abednego to step up. 
Because my generation, as condescending as it sounds, and as I've shared this from the stage, and I actually have had kickbacks, my generation won't lie when I get them alone. They really do look at the younger generation, this millennial generation, and I'm saying this to you. This is a blanket statement. Worst generation period, laziest generation period, most entitled generation period. And it is not true. It's not true. And I know it's not true because I've watched over 400 young men and women come through this program. We have 113 that are serving in some way, shape, or form around the world today. There's a trailer that is honestly holding church every day, six days a week, on a lot in Washington. You will not believe the stories that are coming out of the people that are there, the interns that are there selling burgers to support the work that's going on all around the world. And people are coming up and asking as they're watching this video. They're living in a place. They've never heard of this ministry. Never heard of Mudman. They just see this big black trailer. And there's like nine foot burger with a bunch of chili flowing off the side of it. And the guy goes, I got to get one. And they just come in. And they stand in line and they start buying and they start asking questions. What is this? And now the witnessing is starting. And I'm going to say this to you. You can't believe, even though they know that we are a faith-based organization... They are so excited about the fact they get to be part of something bigger, broader, deeper, wider in themselves. But more importantly is that when they see everyone on the bus, they're all on the trailer, they're all under the age of 25. They want to know more about it. But they have to be able to take a stand. Against what? The world. Daniel 3. Nebuchadnezzar, let me read it. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial. Pam, what is that? Officials to come, important people to come in the dedication of the image he had set up. I want you to know, Nebuchadnezzar was getting ready to build a 90-foot gold statue. 90 feet. An idol of what can be worshipped. I know it's very difficult to understand, but people worship items. I've watched people worship items in churches, Pam and I were in um, Athens, Georgia, at a, I mean, a church. They were swinging from the rafters the whole service. It was a pretty radical, like, environment. Wow! I mean, it was pretty crazy church. It was, you know, it was crazy. It was, it was an incredible morning of ministry. Um, I just remember taking the food coloring that I put around the pot and I, I don't know that I ever experienced the whole church jump up out of their pews and just were like, wow, you know. But at the end of the service, we were in the back and we, you know, at the product table and everybody, the whole sanctuary, it was a pretty good sized church and the sanctuary was completely empty. And I had a pot, which, you know, is, we use in the ministry, very similar to this. And a lady was on the steps like this. 
and I asked her, I said, you remember this, ma'am, yeah? I said, ma'am, what are you doing? And she goes, this pot's anointed. I said, it really isn't. It's really dirt. No, there's an anointing coming off it. And I wasn't going to discourage her any more than I think I already did. But I left there and I realized that even in church we have idols. And then in the last few months I can tell you some of the things that the Lord has shared with me that I too had placed in place of him. And I didn't even know it. We can put cars. We can put any form of materialism. We can actually put our relationship with the Lord, our religiosity. And in one of my cases, I can tell you, I put Pottersfield Ministries. I was having what we call here at Pottersfield, we're all having a, um, on the mount time now as a staff, where over and above lunch, we break off during a portion of the day and go spend some time with the Lord. And I was having mine. And the Lord spoke, spoke to my heart. He said, I want you to bring me your Isaac. I said, Lord, where, what is my Isaac? And it hit me. It was Pottersville. I said, Lord, I'm going to hand you this ministry because it's never been mine. I can't defend it. I can't fight for it. It is your ministry. It is yours to do whatever you want. And as I was sitting in my office, just quiet with the Lord, I said, Lord, here is the ministry of which was always yours. It's somewhere along the line. I must have taken it back. Lord, here is the ministry. And immediately Lord said, now I want to give it back to you. And I want you to take it back down the mountain. Just like Isaac. Abraham walked his son up on a mountain and was ready to sacrifice him. Laid him down. The Lord provided another sacrifice. It was the willingness. I titled this message, Bow or burn. Bow down or burn. You can bow down to an idol or you can walk into the furnace. Here's what I've determined. I always think God's going to stop me from ever getting burned and prevent me from going into the furnace. But I realized something these last few months. Sometimes God takes you into the furnace before he rescues you. Verse 11 says, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. This is a messenger. 
They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zipper, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. This guy's upset, man. He's the king. He wants him to do something. And these guys are being told, here's what's going to happen if you don't do it. If you do not do this, I'm going to do that. And this man is in an authority to do it. They know it. And they want him to go make them to go make a decision. I want to share with you this, uh, this, um, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply to the king. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. Listen to what you're saying. We don't have to go into the boardroom. We don't have to go off and take a walk with each other and kind of like, you know, like you're on Shark Tank and go, can we have a few minutes, walk over here and kind of discuss if we want this deal. Here's the deal. You're going to get burned. They said, we don't have to do that. Here's what I want you to know. What we're going to do right now is... We're not going to bow down. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, if we are thrown into, listen to that, if we are, that's an interesting thing. It didn't say that they weren't, that God was going to stop it. He says, if we are burned up, even if we're burned up, we're going to still go. Is a If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand. O king, but even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than the usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers, his army, to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into a blazing furnace. The king's command was to to so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. The king Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, then bound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of God. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the straps, perfects, governors, and royal advisors 
crown around them, they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor has a hair on their head. Signed, their robes were not scorched and were and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angels and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defiled the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any other gods but their own. Therefore, he decreed that the people of the nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be cut into pieces. Man, this guy just loves cutting people into pieces. Uh, and their house turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. Here was happening. And I want you to know, and I'm saying to the class 15, the reports that we constantly get back from all of the fields as the witness of what has been for you guys to go into another country from a country that many of them would like to come to. The witness is this. That you guys are willing to go, lay your lives down, not stay home, stay at the comforts of the United States, but you actually move to and go to another country with a heart to serve, to be a witness to. And what you don't know is that those who are witnessing or watching are having a great impact in their hearts because they can't fathom why you would do that. Let me say this to you. This pot was fired six times. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the fire, they we know the outcome. Why? We have Daniel 3. We know the end of the story. They didn't. I want you to hear. They didn't. In the midst of the fire, in the midst of the storm. You don't know the end of the story. Many fires, many storms over 30 years of ministry. Many fires, many storms in the course of a lifetime, being 59 years old. I would tell you in the midst of the trials and the storms, the midst of the stretching. If you ask me to do what I do really well, and my staff around me asks me not to do it, but I do it every day. They tell me to drop my pen and stop writing a script. I'm a big script writer. I write the outcome. Let me tell you, my scripts never get bought by Spielberg, okay? I write these scripts out and they're not good endings, you know? But that's not how God is. God allows us to walk through and sometimes not keep us out of the fire, but allows us to walk in it. Matter of fact, he puts us in it. Why? It refines us. I can say this. I've been a potter since I was 14. That makes it almost 45 years in November. This last three or four months, I can tell you, I've become more clay than I've ever been a potter. And I don't want you to think that when I'm up there being a potter that I really think I'm God. No, I just am not a potter like I am, I was then. I'm really seeing me as a clay like I've never had before, if that makes any sense. And I haven't quite put that together. I probably should have waited on that. But... (laughs) It's something that the Lord is doing. And I look at Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and I see, Lord, look at all these young teenage kids that are standing up before the masses and going, nope, not going to do it. I'm not going to bow down. I'm not going to do it. No way. And then I looked at the day today. Today is the 6th of April. 7th?
1999, about this time of the year, I got a phone call up in my studio. Pam and I were getting ready to go on tour. Do you know today we still have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's all over the world? We have some in this room. But I had the absolute privilege of being invited into a time that many of you who are, I don't know, 20 and older would remember what happened on April 20th, 1999 in Littleton, Colorado. Eric and Dylan walked into a high school. And it was the first time we had ever experienced anything like this in our country. They walked in and they shoot, shot up the high school, I think 21, 12 or 21? 12 and a teacher. On the 24th, I got a phone call from a pastor friend of mine who was actually a chaplain. He was one of the first five guys that went in and saw the devastation in the cafeteria. And Pam and I were with him about a month later and we sat in a Denny's at about two in the morning and he couldn't stop just weeping and crying because of what he had to witness. There was a girl by the name of Cassie Bernal. She was 17 years old. She'd gotten saved two years before that. And most of you know the story. Eric put the 12 gauge up against her cheek. You see, every day at this time, she would be in there reading her Bible. And she said, he said, do you still believe in God now? And she said, yes, I do. I was on the board of a band at that time. It was a very um, high profile band called The Cry. And it was her favorite band. So obviously, they were, her parents reached out, one of the youth pastors who um, I just got to spend some time with a few weeks, a month or so ago in Florida. I hadn't seen him in a while. His name is uh, Brooke Gibbs. And uh, they got a hold of um, the cry, and they played at the memorial. And you guys, uh, we were ministering in Colorado in high schools. You would not believe what took off in, uh, in 99 in the youth of America. It was pretty amazing what took off because this was so high profile. But at the memorial, at the memorial, Cassie's mom handed John Luke a poem that she had written. That they found on her desk. Didn't know how far or how long ago they'd written it. But asked him if he would want to put some music to it. And he did. Written by a 17 year old girl. 
recorded by the cry and sung today by Katie and the worship team, yeah? They're going to sing whatever it takes. Listen to the lyrics. I think we're going to have them on the board.
Did she write that? Knowing that it would be the last breath that she took? That she was going to be... No. Did she write it even comprehending what took place in that cafe? No, it never had. She was just writing what was on her heart. Going, I'm in. I'm all in. I'm yours. Everything I got. Everything I'm not. I surrender all. At some point, you will have to stand before an Eric or a Dylan. You will. You'll have to stand before a Nebuchadnezzar. Sometimes it's you'll keep your mouth shut because of the mocking that will come with your faith. Something took place that came out that always touched me about what she was doing every day in the cafeteria prior to this day, April 20th, 1999. She was in the cafeteria reading her Heaven and Earth Pass Away, but this word's going to stand forever. She had authority. Got it right here. Men who step outside of authority that know this word as authority, then they step out on their own. But when you stand on the authority of this, even when it doesn't make sense, you still are standing on the authority of God's word. That's why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, no, don't have to have a conference. We're all good. We're not bowing down. And even if this fire consumes us, They walked into it. They didn't know the outcome. That this guy was going to the... Who's the fourth person with him? All of you had moments on the field. All of us here have had moments where if God doesn't show up, we're going to feel like the molecules that hold us together are going to just go like the Indiana Jones first movie. You know, at the end, they're just kind of all going... And yet, when we do and we stand on the authority and the promises of this word, I promise you others are walking through and watching. Just like the Babylonian sat back along with a king. It brought a king, not to his knees, but to his face. Why? They didn't move. I can't tell you. Lori, I think you were here then. The pouring out of the opportunities that came for all of us at the high school. It was unbelievable. One girl saying, yes, I do. Bam! Pretty. Why? The world didn't understand how someone could take a stand like that. With the last breath I take, you are the one I belong to? Okay. You can't wrap your brain around it, can we? You can't even right now go, wow. And by the way, may I say none of us know what we would do in that moment, but I would tell you by God's grace, you would do the right thing. 
You know how I got this message? Pastor Steve and I, we co-labor. Co-labor? Pastor Steve Miller and I, we collaborate. I make pots, he draws on them. And he's been asking me for a bunch of pots, so I had to go fire some pots the other night. Well, my cone thing doesn't really work, so I had to fire by sight. So I was running up there. And as I was going up, you know, you turn the kiln on and it gets a little hot. And then you go up a couple hours later and you look in and go, whoo, getting a little glowing in there, man. And, you know, you look in there again and, man, the pot is just fully like, wow. And, I mean, it, it, when it gets to the heat that it is, it literally becomes completely transparent. You can almost see through the wall of the pot into the other. At that point, I know the pot's done. And I turn it off, firing by sight. Now, if the pot could talk, the pot, I'm telling you, at first is like, hey, wow. Getting a little hot, man. And then a little bit, a couple more going, hey, 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 hey. But I'm telling you, about the fifth hour in, I didn't plan on any of that. But keep in mind, look what the potter sees. This is what he sees. He sees the outcome. You're going to go through the fire. And when you do, stand on the word. A couple teenage kids did thousands of years ago, and they're doing it right now, all over the world. Right now, in your generation. You guys did. You took heat from family, friends, some of you. I remember when Pam and I told our families that we were going to leave our jobs and go into full-time ministry. Her dad hit the roof. Honestly, he did. And at the end, he asked me how I was going to take care of his daughter. And I said, you know what, Jim? That's really going to be up to the Lord. And he's going, oh, boy. Well, I'll just have to keep the extra room open for you because you guys are going to be living with us. I mean, this is kind of his... And after a few years, four or five years, they bought an RV and started traveling with us. They became one of our biggest supporters and fans. We're really glad that they got to see. Is it easy? No. Is it hard? Yes. Is it really hard? Yes. Is it really, 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 really hard? Yes. Yes. With the last breath I take, it'll be hard. But this ain't home. And we've lost two of our saints within 14 days of each other. They're home and we're not. And I apologize for jumping up and down when I heard that Fern went home. One, I already knew she did. Two, I've come to a conclusion that I've had enough nights of crying over my mom's loss these last few weeks that I'm now ready just to say I'm glad she's home. And I was more rejoicing for Berta than Fern. But Fern too, 102, come on. She's been wanting to go home for 20-some years. <laughs> but you, it's hard for those of us who are left behind because we don't understand death. Except we have an opportunity each and every day to die. And even today we're having an opportunity 
to recognize what Jesus did do for us. See, this is the day that we take communion. And I'm going to have Pastor Steve come up and lead us in communion. We're going to continue, and we're not going to stop pouring into the millennial generation. As I told you before, the whole definition of PFM is people for millennials. <laughs> Listen, you know why? Because there's a Gen Z that's coming up right underneath you guys, and you're going to need us to help you, support you, inspire you, encourage you, provide for you opportunity Responsibility. It's a heavy word. But authority that comes with it. I didn't know that God really does let us learn the lessons outside the fire until you've really been in the fire. And His promise is He'll rescue you. Even in it. Power burn. If I got to burn, then let it be. Amen? No, really, go ahead. As I was sitting in the back, the, I was asking the Lord <clears throat> how we could transition from the message to communion. And I was one of those up to 3 a.m. So this is the disease. Um, <clears throat> he had me pen this. Sometimes God takes you into the furnace before he rescues you. Pastor Mike. <laughs> 
said that. The question might be, why would he do that? In the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or as we know him from Veggie Tales, Rack Shack and Benny. <laughs> they were tossed in and the flames were used to loose their bonds. Those things that had them bound. As we come to communion, we celebrate that Jesus won the victory. I'll let him read it. (laughs) Jesus won the victory over anything that may have us bound on the cross, but we must allow him to do his work in us, even allowing him in his sovereignty to use the fiery furnaces of life that we can be set free to walk with him in a way that he receives the glory. Whatever it is that has us bound, we find victory at the cross and empty tomb of Christ. And today, as we take communion, we are drawn back to the reality that he sets us free. Even in the midst of the flames of this world, that we might have the privilege of living free from being bound to run Thank you for joining us as we studied the Word this morning. If you would like more information about Sela Fellowship, please visit us on the web at salafellowship.org. While you are there, feel free to check out some of our other messages and past book studies. Thank you again, and God bless.